Uh, there's a uh, Chinese fortune that you get which says that you will live in interesting times and the Chinese consider it to be the most unfortunate of fortunes that you could possibly get. And I feel like we are in interesting times. These are incredibly fascinating times and I want to talk a little bit into that today. Uh, but before I do, I, well, I want to share some news about Soul City Church. Uh, we are in a series at the moment called Free at Last. We're looking at freedom, what does it mean to be free, and we're working through a letter in the Bible uh, called the Letter to the Galatians. And uh, if you've got a Bible, please find Galatians 4. We're going to read through that together in a minute. You can find it on your phone, you can find it on Safari or Chrome or whatever it is that you use. It's really easy to find. Um, so, so find it, we'll read it through together, but as you're finding that, um, I wanted to give you a little bit of an update about something that has uh, kind of been unfolding over the last week that has nothing to do with the coronavirus. Um, if you're new here, this is Soul City Church, and you are absolutely welcome. We are about two and a half years old, and as a church, we started five of us in a front room with a Bible and a guitar and a lot of hope, a lot of ideas, and... Um, a whole bunch of faith, believing that God could do something incredible. And we had this, this kind of dream that maybe God would birth something in Stockport that would outgrow Stockport, that would multiply. Uh, we, we talk about a network of networks now. Like, Wouldn't it be amazing if we just see God overflow in incredible ways? We want God to do something really significant in our community. But we also recognize that if that's, if that's as big as our hope is, that that's not enough. I mean, Stockport's 300,000 people. We've got to be thinking bigger, and we're thinking bigger than Stockport, uh, bigger than even Greater Manchester. And so we want to be a church which really brings hope, brings love, brings faith to the people around us, but also equips other people to go and find their purpose and, and to start doing that in different places. And, and it's funny because of the season we're in, we think of it as a viral movement. If you think about the way that the coronavirus is multiplying, that's what we want to see for the gospel we want to see that multiplying through our neighborhoods, through our schools, through our workplaces. We want to see hope uh, become viral. And so we, we moved really early to a coffee shop. And we met in this amazing little coffee shop, which it doesn't even exist anymore. But it was, it was perfect for us. And we grew really, really quickly when we were meeting there. And within a few months, we'd outgrown it. And we were like, where are we going to go? What does this look like? And uh, we literally knocked on the door of the cinema and we're like, you know, you might not have thought about this, but how do you feel about having a church in the cinema? And, and they were amazing. And they said, yeah, like we could make this work, I think. We can do this thing. We can do that thing. You can store your stuff. And um, the cinema at that stage was about two weeks old. Like they'd literally just built this place. And they said, uh, this is how much it's going to cost. And honestly, my heart, was, was like going crazy because they wanted every single penny that we had to move into the cinema. We were like, well, if, if we do that, we can afford literally nothing else. You know, like, like no salaries, no coffees, no um, lanyard. I don't know, anything, no, nothing for the kids, just nothing else. And um, I remember talking with Emma and we said, well, do you know what? If we can reach one more person by moving to the cinema then we would have stayed in the coffee shop, then it was worth it. Yeah. 
And so we did, and it was, it was stretching, like it was really stretching for us. We had to change our mindsets, change the way that we thought. And, um, and that first year was like, that was hardcore. Who was here in the first year in the cinema with us? Yeah, there was times when it was like amazing, and there was times when it was like, this is tiring, you know? But God blessed us, and, and we kept growing. And we doubled in size in the first year from moving to the cinema. And we realized that that screen that we were in wasn't going to hold us anymore. And so we then moved from that screen and we moved into this screen. And when we did, we were like less than 50% full of, of what we needed here. It was like it, the screen was double the size of the last screen. And we had this moment where like, this is a bit bigger than we were expecting. But, but we kind of believe that God is in it. And so we're going to move here and see what happens. And we've been meeting here every single week since Easter and, um, and growing slowly, growing gradually. Uh, we're now two and a half years old and it has been amazing to see. Uh, I, think, I think we've seen something like 60 people meet Jesus for the first time in this cinema. Like, it's absolutely amazing. Um, so many people have come and got involved. People have come and been blessed and then they've gone off and done other things. And we've released them and that's been incredible as well. Um, but then last week on Sunday, we had our biggest ever Soul City service in history. Like right here, it was the biggest time. We've, I said we've had our biggest ever yeah. Soul City yeah. gathering where we finally broke the 100 mark. The only time we'd broken it before was for Toy Story 4. We didn't feel like that counted. We wanted it to be broken for Jesus. And, and so last week we had over 100 people in the screen and it was amazing to be here and to look and, and to just think about what God has done and the faithfulness as we've stepped out in faith time and time again. And at the end we were talking about it with a team and we went back home and I said to Emma, I said, we've outgrown the cinema. Uh, there's one screen which is a little bit larger than this but only by about 15, maybe 20 seats tops. And I was like, even if we do make that shift, I mean, we're, we're buying weeks, maybe months tops. But, um, but we've, we've outgrown this, and, and there's no room for us here. We need to make another plan. Uh, Monday morning, I got an email from the cinema saying that they've been reviewing their rent and a number of other things, and that they've decided that they want to essentially double our rent which makes what was a faith step at the beginning just Im impossible for us here. And the timing doesn't seem surprising either. Yeah. Having just had our biggest ever service, having just had this moment where we're like, we don't fit here anymore, to then the next day get this, this wake-up call saying, look, this, we don't, you know, it's not going to work. And, um, and so uh, I wanted to let you know at this moment in the journey I didn't want to hold it from you. I, I didn't want to wait till we'd found all of the solutions and worked out everything that we got to do. I wanted you to be part of this because we talk all the time and we say that we're a family. Yeah. We're a church who, who does things together. I believe that God speaks to us, but I, I don't know who God's going to speak to when. And I think that God speaks to all of us in different ways. And so for me, it seems wise to, to share information, to let you know, because this affects all of you. And I want to ask you to, to be praying into this. I want to ask you to be looking for places, yeah. seeing if God shows you where we could be meeting next. 
I've genuinely, genuinely believed that this is uh, a next level situation, that this is a moment where God has brought us to the edge of something. And there's going to be a moment of bravery for us. There's going to be a moment of faith. But, but then we're going to step into something which is going to be far greater. I preached a couple of weeks ago and was talking about the Israelites getting to the edge of the promised land and then turning away because they were scared of the giants. I feel like that's for us too, that we've got to that Jordan River moment. And, and I think that there's going to be a, a stepping into the water and that we're going to take some steps of faith. But I believe that this is going to be the, the next blessing that we get to step into. So having said all of that, we've got a trustees meeting tonight. We've got uh, a whole bunch of different ideas and different options that we can pursue. Um, there are places where we could move straight away if we wanted to. We've got three months here in the cinema to talk about this, to work it out. Even if we want to go beyond that, we could. It just We can't really afford it. Then it's just eating away at money, which we don't really have. So our preference is to find somewhere as soon as we can. Um, and we're going to be looking really to try and stay as centrally again in Stockport because we believe God's called us here for purpose. But we're going to be exploring. We always say that our vision is Jesus. You know, our vision isn't the cinema. Our vision isn't those amazing reclining chairs. Our vision isn't to have the bigger screen in Greater Manchester. Like that, Those aren't our vision. Our vision is Jesus. And so at this time, our security remains the same. It's in Jesus. Our hope remains the same. It's in Jesus. Our next step remained the same. They were always going to be in Jesus. And so there's, there's honestly, there's a mix of emotions at the moment. Um, but, but beneath it all, I have this confidence that I think only comes from Jesus. I'm in the middle of writing a dissertation at the moment for a theology degree, and I'm doing it on Hebrews 6. And it says, it says, we have this anchor that is hope. And it travels beyond the veil where Jesus is our interceder. And that, for me, is true of everything. There's no situation which should make us feel uncertain. There's no situation that should be able to rock us because Jesus is our anchor. And sometimes that anchor keeps us still, and sometimes that anchor is going to move us on and move us to a new place. But we trust in him in all situations. But I was thinking that what I would love to do today is, is to talk into the subject a little bit of how do we deal with uncertain futures. I was climbing a mountain a little while ago in Wales, got about halfway up, and then cloud blew in. And it was like in a matter of seconds... I could barely see the hand in front of my face. And it was, it was honestly, at first it was okay. I was like, that's fine. And I kind of just sat there and I had a sandwich and it didn't disappear. And then I had to decide, what do I do? Do I stay here in the middle of the cloud and wait for it to pass? Do I keep moving to the peak and try and get above the clouds? Do I head back down? What if I get lost? And I started to feel anxiety. I started to feel nervous. I started to worry. And, and honestly, I, as I step, I decided, I mean, this is just me, I decided I'm going to hit that peak, whatever happens, right? Anybody else would have been that, like, I was, I'm going to keep on going. And every step required faith, honestly, faith that I wouldn't get lost, faith that Jesus would help me if I did get lost. Every step was scary. And every step, every step was like harder than the one before. 
And I think sometimes when we have moments of uncertain futures, it's okay at first, but the longer we're in them, the more we kind of freak out, the more that we lose perspective, the more things affect us. And we can go a little bit crazy on that mountain in that cloud, waiting to break free. And there was this amazing moment when I did and I rose above the clouds and I could just see this amazing landscape everywhere. And I knew that it was just going to be the best day. But, but we have to know how we deal with the moments inside the cloud because they're not always the easiest. So um, Galatians 4 is where I'd like to start. Uh, let me just find it in my notes here. And it says this. I'm going to start in verse 12. And this is a bit of an interlude in Galatians. Up to this point, it has been very theological. He's wanting to give the Galatians all of the arguments why they shouldn't abandon Christ, why they should remain true to the gospel. And he's been very, very theological. And this is a moment where it's like his heart seems to have broken. He's, he changes his tone. He gets really emotional. And he decides to tell them a story, a story about how they first met. And, and this is what he says. He says, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you, and you did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of a sickness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my sickness was a trial, you didn't treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if it were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you had done so, you could have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I'm with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could just be with you now and change my tone, because I am perplexed about you. And this is this fascinating little insight into how Paul was with the Galatians. But um, what struck me this week as I was reading this was this, this kind of throwaway little story in the middle that there was this time when Paul was traveling and, and we don't know too much, we don't know the details and maybe I read too much into this. But I was trying to imagine what maybe had happened and what maybe it had been like. And I imagined Paul, and I imagined him traveling from one place to another, and then he got sick unexpectedly. And this is back before they had all the medicine that we have. This is when sickness hits you hard and there's nothing you can do, and maybe you'll live or maybe you'll die. And, and he stopped. And there's a group of people who then apparently came around him and they took him in, and they looked after him. And he says, like, you looked after me as if I was Jesus Christ himself. Like The way you looked after me was absolutely amazing. You cared for me. You loved me. And what ended up happening was in the middle of this, this moment, this unexpected illness, this thing that he would never have wanted, I imagine him in their home and the, the hope shining out from him. I imagine the love shining out from him. And them seeing something that was different. I imagine them asking him, what is it that you are doing? Who are you? Why are you traveling through here? And he explains to them about Jesus. He explains to them about, about the hope that we have in him. And they believe him. 
and their entire home is transformed. And what started out as sickness turns into salvation. What started out as this bump in the road ends up becoming the very thing which causes him to pause and share the gospel and start this church. This entire church that we have this letter about in the Bible started due to unforeseen circumstances. It started because Paul wanted to go one way and then something that he never would have liked, never would have wanted to happen, did happen. And it caused everything to change. And it made me think, we react far too quickly about situations. We draw up our conclusions so, so soon. I saw on Facebook this week, um, I think it was Stephen Furtick was telling a Japanese proverb and it was about a farmer who had this amazing stallion. <coughs> and, um, and, and one day the stallion ran away and they lost their best stallion. And the neighbours came to him and said, Oh, you're the most unlucky farmer in the world. You had one good horse and it ran away. And the farmer said, Maybe, maybe not. The next day the stallion came back and it brought with it five other horses. And the neighbours came and they saw now that he didn't just have this one horse, he's got six horses. And they were like, wow, you're the most lucky farmer in the world. And he said, maybe, maybe not. Well, the next morning, the son of the farmer goes out to, to break in the new horses. And as he's riding one, he falls off and he breaks his leg. And he's in so much pain and he's brought into the house and the neighbours come round and they're like, wow. You really are the most unlucky farmer in the world. And he said, maybe, maybe not. The next day, the army comes round recruiting for soldiers to go to war. And they look at the farmer's family and they see his son with a broken leg. And they say, we won't take you because you're injured. And the neighbours come round again and they say, you are just the most lucky farmer in the world. And the farmer says, well, maybe, maybe not. And, and the moral of this proverb is simply that we make our decisions about situations far too soon. You have absolutely no idea how things are going to turn out. They might turn out far better than you can imagine. There's moments in your life where you think this is the greatest thing that's ever happened and it ends up knocking you off track. And there's other moments in life where it's like, I never wanted this to happen and this hurt me. And yet it becomes the very thing that God uses to take you to the next level. Just because you didn't get the job doesn't mean that it's not a blessing. Just because that girl didn't say yes when you asked her out doesn't mean it's not a blessing. You have no idea how things are going to turn out. Sometimes the delay is actually a shortcut. Sometimes the pain is actually a promotion. Sometimes the sickness leads to salvation. You just don't know. And here's what I think we do. We love to predict, predict the future. We're like Mystic Meg. It's like we look at all the signs. We kind of get our tea and we're like, I know exactly how this is going to turn out. I know exactly what's going to happen. She dumped me. I'm always going to be single. I'm always going to be unlovable. I'm going to die alone. I lost my job. I'm never going to get another job. 
I'm never going to get a good job. I'm going to have a paper round. I'm going to earn less money than a 14-year-old for the rest of my life. It is going to be the worst thing ever. There is no hope. And we predict these futures, which are so bleak. And what we do is we, we, we listen to what I think are the worst aspects of ourselves. We listen to our insecurities. We listen to our hopelessness. We listen to our pain rather than seeing the future through the eyes of hope, seeing it through faith, seeing it through love, seeing it through the best of what makes us human. And we end up completely losing perspective. And I think that's something that brings us beautifully to talking a little bit about the coronavirus. Because let's be honest, it is around us. And perspective is really hard to get. And I see that there, there seems to be this, this spectrum of emotions at the moment. And I don't know where you would fit on this. Um, the fact that maybe you've even come to church says something. Because a lot of people aren't at the moment. And, and I think that on one end, we've got just absolute nonchalance. Like people, almost judgmental nonchalance, like, why are you even concerned? This is, this is a storm in a teacup, you guys are crazy, and we've got that end over here. And then on the other end, there's people who are buying enough toilet paper to not need to leave the house until 2024. Like, it, like we've got like this kind of absolute fear, absolute panic, people refusing to go out of their house, people who are scared, people who are worried. And... um. I think that if I'm honest, like a week ago, I was far further down this nonchalant side. And um, what I think has perhaps uh, maybe woken me up the most has been seeing what my friends who are doctors are posting and seeing doctors seemingly concerned, seeing government seemingly concerned, suddenly makes me think, well, maybe I should be more concerned than I was. And as I've thought about it, I've wondered whether for me, my nonchalance was was really just more capacity you know like everything with the church i've got a brother who's who's recovering from cancer and and I, I'm, I'm worried enough about him i'm worried about enough about his kids worried about my mum and dad and to be honest the idea of worrying about the coronavirus just feels extra i'm like you know i've run out of capacity and um and then what I think is, I'll just stick my head in the sand and pretend it doesn't exist. But I want to tell you that that isn't faith, that's fear. Yeah. You know, apathy isn't an expression of faith. Yeah. Faith never has apathy. Faith doesn't stop looking at things. Faith doesn't just turn away. Faith looks, but at the same time, faith doesn't look like anxiety. Yeah. Faith doesn't look like being worried all the time. And I understand why, it's because... There's so much uncertainty. I mean, the number of cases is going up. If we look at Italy, and they've shut down most of society, and people are isolated. France yesterday closed down all their cinemas, all their public areas, their bars. And um, churches are closing and not meeting around the world. And, and I don't know what that's going to look like here. I don't know if next week we will have a meeting. There's so many question marks they're, they're saying so many things they and, and the thing is they just don't know will this coronavirus be annual will it come around like the flu every year will it affect everybody will quarantining work 
will it mutate and become more serious? We just don't know. And I'm not saying this to fill anybody with fear. I don't want to do that whatsoever. But I want to explain why we feel this worry. It's because of the lack of control. It's because we don't know. And, and, and for some of us, it's like, well, the football, that's the final straw. Like, they call it the football. Like, it's, it's crazy. Like, now it's really affecting us. Now we need to wake up when, when my team isn't playing on a Saturday. But, but we, we can get lost. And we can get crazy and we can lose perspective in the middle of that cloud. And, and, it, and, it, and it is craziness because the truth is the future hasn't changed. The future is still the future. The, the peak of the mountain is still the peak of the mountain. We're still moving in the same direction. Jesus is still in control. He is still our anchor. He still has the power to choose when our time is. He holds all the cards. Nothing has changed except our perspective. And this perspective leads us to worry. And worrying is devastating. Because worrying is fortune-telling. It's saying, I believe I know how this is going to end. And I'm going to think about it. I'm going to stew about it. I'm going to be frustrated about it. And Jesus says in, in Matthew 6, uh, he says this. He says, therefore, Matthew six twenty five, I tell you, do not worry about your life what you will eat or drink, or about your body. Do not worry about what you will wear. Is life not more than food, and your body more than clothes? Look at the birds, they don't sow or reap or store away, and yet your father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than them? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And as I read this, it made me ask the question, when has worrying worked for me? When has worrying worked for you? Can you think of a time when you have worried and it made a difference? Honestly, I can't think of one. Worrying not only doesn't help, it makes my present moment more painful. I just get fixated on what I can't change and then it affects what I can change. And it just leads me down. The word in Greek for worry that Jesus uses in the New Testament, I love this. If I've spoken about this before, it's because it just makes so much sense to me. It's marinate. And, and I love it because it sounds like marinate. Do you know that's what we do? We marinate in anxiety. We marinate in worry. We just let it go round and round. We stew in it. We think about it. We bring it back up every single time we can. Marinate also sounds like knots, because that's what it does. It ties us in knots. It ruins our present experience of life. And we need to be aware of it. We need to be careful of it. I think one of the most common ways that we see this is in our words. The words that we speak have power. They create the environments that we live in. They, they change the way that people feel around us as well. What are the words that you are speaking, saying about what's going on in your heart? We marinate through the words we speak. They, they, they breed worry. They encourage worry. We also marinate by the voices that we listen to. 
So often we're, we're happy and we're going through life and then it's, it's all of these people's worries that then affect our worries and we get to this point where we think, well, maybe I should be worried because everyone else seems to be worried. I want to tell you we were not designed to have the level of information that we have today on our phones. We're not designed to get all of those news streams every single day. You're not designed for all of the BuzzFeed posts. You're not designed for the Instagram stories. It just builds anxiety and worry and it, and it creates this storm. And if this is a storm in the teacup, you need to recognize that you are that teacup. And the storms that happen inside of you really do matter. We need to be aware of the voices that we are listening to. We need to be aware of the words that we speak because they just create worry. Jesus says, do not worry about anything. And then he gives us three steps to help us to combat this anxiety. He doesn't just leave us there and say, don't do it. He then shows us how we can step out of worry and how we can live in a different way. And he says this verse, he says, first seek the kingdom. First seek the kingdom. The kingdom is this rich term which is more than I can unpack here in about 30 seconds. And we could do a whole sermon series just about the kingdom. But, but in a nutshell, the kingdom tends to refer to, to three things. It tends to refer to the place where God is king. The place where you are under his power. The second thing it refers to is the blessings that you receive of God being king. And the third thing that it refers to is the people of God who come together as God being their king. In other words, the church. So it's this, it's this rich picture about what it means to be part of God's family. In fact, in Galatians, just before the passage that I read earlier, Paul says it like this. He says, when the right time came, God sent his son born of a woman subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father, now you're no longer a slave, but you are God's own child. You see, we have a king who is Jesus. God is the king of the kingdom. God has power. And he has made us his children. And so we get to have this closeness with God. Jesus tells us, if you're feeling worried, seek first the king. Pray. Spend time. If, I promise you, if you spent as much time praying as you did worrying, there would be nothing to worry about. He says, come to Jesus. Spend time with him first. Rick Warren says it like this. He says, he says that when we're stressed, we shouldn't repress and keep it all in, but we shouldn't also express and lash out in panic or anger. Instead, we should confess. We should tell Jesus, look, this is how I'm feeling. I'm worried about my grandparents. I'm worried about my brother who's sick. I'm worried about what happens at this, this. And spend that time with Jesus. Seek first, not second, seek first the kingdom. Go to him first. And the other thing that I think that we so naturally do when we're feeling worried is we pull away. It's very British of us. We isolate, not just because we've got a cough. If you've got a cough, isolate and that's fine. But, but we isolate just because we feel stressed. 
We isolate because we feel worried. We isolate and we pull away, and then we wonder why it doesn't get better. We wonder why we escalate. We wonder why it gets worse and things get out of perspective because we haven't got anybody to talk to. Jesus is saying, seek first the king, but seek first the kingdom. You need to be part of a community. This is the time to push in. This is the time when people need to come together. They need hope. We need to be responsible. But we also need to be pointing towards Jesus and we need to be around people. And so if we can, we will be meeting here together as long as we can, celebrating Jesus and everything that he has done, putting our focus and gaze on him. If we can't be meeting here, we will still be meeting. We'll go back to house churches. We'll work it out. There will be places where you can gather and we will let you know where they are in a safe, responsible way. We need to be around people. And I want you to know it's not just any people. It's not just anybody because so many of the voices aren't going to help you. You need to be around people of worship, people of hope, people of faith, people of love. Because that is what's going to change the way that we feel in this situation. We need to come together. Um, I mentioned earlier a little bit, my brother Luke is he's just recovering from a huge operation. Uh, he's had cancer in his pancreas. Um, it's been like six months. We didn't think he'd make it till Christmas. And um, just through prayer, honestly, I believe just through prayer, he's kept going and they eventually said they'll give him an operation. And he had the operation last week and they took out, it was like 20 centimeter tumor and um, all kinds of parts of his organs and he's recovering. And, and it's amazing. It's Honestly, it's amazing. It's amazing he's alive. He sent out a post just this week saying most people don't survive that surgery. And yet he's with us. And, and it is, it's, it's, it's praise God. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but I met up with a friend this week and he said to me, oh, you must just be overflowing with faith. You must be just wanting to pray for the sick everywhere and see everyone healed. And honestly, I was like, nah, <laughs> I am tired. I am not overflowing with faith. And I said, and actually, if I want to be honest with you, over the last six months, I have been carried in my faith. I have been surrounded by other people's faith. And I have said, I've said this to God. I've said, you know what? I don't have a lack of faith, but I don't have the strength right now. And I said, and so I'm trusting my community's faith to have faith for me, through me, for my brother. And so I want to be around people who are going to carry me when I'm struggling. I needed that. Because we pushed in. That's what community is. That's what community does. We carry each other when we need carrying. Because every single one of us does. Every single one of us does. You are not superhuman. You are not Jesus. Jesus is Jesus. We've just got each other. And so we need to push in and look out for one another. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom. And then he says, live righteously. The word righteous in Hebrew literally means a straight line. It means walk in one direction, walk a straight path. A better way of saying this might be, seek first the kingdom and then live your life based on the kingdom you sought. Yeah. It's saying even when the cloud comes on the mountain, we keep walking up in the straight path. 
We keep heading towards that summit. We keep following that path of Jesus. We don't let pressures, we don't let anxiety, we don't let fear about the future, that we don't know what's going to happen. We don't let that sway who we are or where we're going. Our path has not changed. We live righteously. I love this thing that uh, Martin Luther, he was uh, a, a guy who, who, who shaped the church uh, for centuries. And um, he was in a university teaching when the bubonic plague spread in that village. And everybody ran away and they said to him, what are you going to do? Are you going to leave the university? And, and he spent some time thinking about it. And what he said was that he didn't want to ask the question, what would Jesus do in this situation? He said, that's the wrong question. He said, rather, I want to ask the question, what would I do if it was Jesus that was sick? If Jesus caught the plague, what is it that I would want to do? And he said, I think if it was Jesus that was sick, no one would be running away. Everybody would be running to Jesus. They'd be stepping out in faith They'd be stepping out with courage. They'd be saying, hey, how can I help him? How can I minister to him? How can I give my life to serve Jesus? He said, if Jesus was sick, we would completely, definitely, differently be dealing with this situation. He says, so that's what I want to do. And this is what Jesus says as well. He tells this amazing story about sheep and goats. And he says that people are going to be divided at the end of times. And some of them are going to find out that they're, they're, they're like goats, he says. And basically what he means is they're going to realize that they never knew him. And he's going to say, look, you didn't know me and, and, I need to, and, and you, there's no place for you in heaven. And he said, and there's going to be other people and they'll come together and he'll say, you did know me. And the ones who are turned away, they'll say, well, what do you mean I didn't know you? I went to church. I followed all the commandments. How did I not know you? And Jesus said, you didn't know me because you didn't serve the sick. Because you didn't serve the poor. Because you didn't help the homeless. And he says to them, he says in this, this mind-blowing thing, he says, if you serve the poor, that's where you find me. I am there. I am there with them. I want to tell you, if you feel far from Jesus today, all you have to do is to go and serve somebody. That's where you find him. What he isn't saying is, if you serve people, you will then get into heaven. That's not, that's not the point of the story. What he's saying is that when you've had an encounter with God, it transforms something inside of you, that your life looks different. When you seek first the kingdom and you live in light of the kingdom, you can't not serve. You can't not care about people. You can't not give yourself. We want to be a community that walks a different path. I think so often like that we live in these environments and we find ourselves the same as everyone else. We experience the same stress, the same anxieties, the same fear, the same frustration. We're just standing there lost like everyone else. And I believe that Jesus is saying, when you seek him, it should transform the way that you live in your life. We need to be a people who are going to stand up and live differently at times like this. This is an opportunity for us to show the truth of what our faith is about. The church is known for so many negative things. What if this could be the time when people start looking and saying, actually, my encounter with the church was completely different. 
I found them to be people who loved when it wasn't needed. I found them to be people of generosity. I found them to be people who spoke hope, who spoke life. I found them to be people who cared for us when we were sick. And that doesn't mean irresponsibility. If you're sick, get well. Look after yourself. That's caring for people as well. We don't want to be spreading kindness and spreading viruses. That's not the point. But the point is that we should be living life in light of the kingdom. I think that if this does get worse, you'll be pleased that you made a decision to live differently. And if it doesn't get worse, you'll still be pleased that you made a decision to live differently. I love these cards that we've got, this opportunity for us to just do something practical, to offer a little bit of hope, a little bit of help to people around us. You'd be, you'd be amazed at how many times people come and they tell you that the smallest of things made the biggest of difference in their lives. You have no idea what God can do through you. You just need to step out. Jesus finishes this, in, this section and he says, um, he, says, he says, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry enough for itself. Instead, worry about today. And his point is, to stay present, to stay in this moment. Don't get lost in all of your hypothetical outcomes. You don't need to have a bunker in your cellar. You don't need to worry about all of those things. Stay present. Become a blessing. Look for the opportunities that are already around you. It might well be that what, what felt like a sickness will lead to salvation. You have no idea what God can do through this if you are willing to stay present, to stay focused, and find that moment when you can become a blessing. So I just want to finish um, with a little bit of a checklist. Um, and, And this is for you if you are feeling anxious today. Whether it's about coronaviruses, whether it's about comfortable seats in cinemas and the future of church, whether it's about love and relationships, whether it's about careers, whether it's just about kids or something completely different. I don't know what it is that that makes you feel anxious. But when you feel anxious, I just want to give you a few things I think that you can do that are super, super practical. What do we do when life threatens to overwhelm us? Well, number one, breathe. Just breathe. Just take that moment and pause. Just breathe in and breathe out. Breathe in the Holy Spirit. Breathe out your anxiety. Breathe in the love of God. Breathe out fear. Breathe in all the promises that he has made for you. Breathe out all of your ideas and fears of the future. Just breathe. Second thing, switch off your phone. Put it in a bucket, bury that bucket in your garden, whatever you need to do. Turn off your phone. You don't need to know everything all the time. 
You don't need to know every update as it comes. You don't need to read 12 different newspapers versions of the same events. <laughs> you don't need to hear what my thoughts are on social media. You don't, you don't need it. Switch off your phone, turn it off, disconnect. It's okay, you need that space to stay human. Number three, seek Jesus. Spend some time remembering everything that he has done for you to date. If you're worried about someone else, remember everything he's done for them. Remember his faithfulness. Remember his provision. Remember those times that you thought that you would never get through it and yet he carried you. Remember those moments when you were like, I don't even know how I'm going to pay that bill and yet he provided. Time and time again. He did it before, he will do it again. Remember those moments and start thanking him for that. I believe it is impossible to be grateful and worried at the same time. Start praising him and it will change something inside of you. Start worshipping him and it will change your heart. I had a moment in my life when I felt complete despair and I started worshipping Jesus. And honestly, by the end of one song, I found hope. Where did that hope come from? It came from the Lord. That's what the Bible teaches us, but it's true. Seek first the kingdom. Four, in a time when everyone else is pulling away, make sure you push it. Push into community. Push into friendship. Push into love. Push into people around you. Like not obnoxiously, lovingly. Make sure you're there at small group. And you might not even feel like you need it, but I promise you, other people need it. If you feel strong, that's not an excuse to stay away. That's an excuse to be present and to help somebody else. Push into community, not just for your sake, but for other people's. You need to connect because people need you. We need you. You matter. Push in. And finally, contribute. When you get lost in perspective and you start thinking everything about you, the best way to break that is to serve somebody else. It will change your mindset. Start worrying more about other people and serving them. Do something. Do something practical. Pray for people. Bring people help when they need help. Share a positive word for somebody when they need encouragement. Serve other people. And what you will find, I believe, and this is true of every moment in my life, is the moment when you make somebody else your priority, God makes you his priority. The moment when you say, I'm not going to worry about my situation, but I'm going to help them because they're struggling. You suddenly come back to that situation that you left and you find that Jesus has already dealt with it. It happens so many times. We need to contribute to other people.